One, uh, yeah, let's get down to business. Good, good call back to business here. First John chapter two, uh, we're going to be in verses 12 to 14. And I'll open right up with uh, the way I approach this may be different than you may have heard this passage before. Uh, so with that in mind, our passage, 1 John chapter 2, I'll read verse 12 to 14, goes like this. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for your, his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Let's have a word of prayer before we get looking at this. So, Lord, we do thank you for this beautiful day. As Matt said, we, it rained while we were sleeping, and we wake up to a beautiful morning. We thank you for it. We ask that you'll guide us through this passage of your word, that you'll help us to become more like you through it. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So today, as we look at our passage here, I'm going to move this down. It's causing me some trouble here. Uh, as we're looking at the passage today, we see John, he's talking straight to his readers, that's you and me, uh, and he starts right off with the words, I write unto you, so he's explaining why he's writing what he's going to write from here on out, and as he writes to them, he describes them in several different ways, <laughs> he describes them first as those who have been forgiven, uh, then as those who have known him from the beginning, uh, him who is from the beginning, and those who have overcome the wicked one. Three distinctly different terms. Now, maybe, I think maybe I know what our issue is. I don't think this thing's screwed together properly. Let's see if that works better. Uh, anyway, sorry about that. Uh, as you may have noticed, John refers to his readers twice as children twice as fathers, and twice as young men, each time in that exact order. That order is, uh, pay attention to that order, because I'm going to make a point out of that in a little bit. Uh, now, as we notice that, and every preacher before me has noticed that before, and they make that a big deal, a lot has been made of the point that John's trying to address different levels of spiritual maturity here. Some are, they'll say that some are newborns in Christ, that's the little children. Some are mature and they're victorious in their spiritual warfare. Uh, and some are older with more depth and stability in their Christian walk. You've, you've all heard that before. That's a very popular way for preachers to approach this. And certainly there is victory in uh, spiritual warfare. Uh, let's look at some other passages that talk about that. Let's go to 2 Timothy. I'm not going to take away from that. That's definitely a fact. But as we go along, I think we're going to see that John's trying to make a different point. If I can find 2 Timothy, there we go. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. It says, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, 
charity, peace, with them which call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That sounds like a victorious life. Uh, go over to classic passage, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, particularly verses 10 to 18. I'm going to read the whole passage. It's a little lengthy, but we're talking about victorious Christian life here. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And one more passage. Go over to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Those are all passages clearly throughout the rest of the New Testament, we're talking about spiritual warfare, levels of spiritual maturity, and victory in the Christian life. Uh, and we all know that the Christian walk is never static, right? You don't stay in one spot. You can't be neutral as a Christian. All Christians should always be growing. We should always be learning. We should always be becoming more like Christ. And all of that's true. But I will argue here today that that's not the point John is trying to make here. For one thing, as we've already pointed out, John at one time or another addresses every single one of his readers as children. So he sees us all as children. Uh, he uses the Greek word technia, which is a very affectionate term. We saw that last time, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. We see it here today, chapter 2, verse 12. We see it in chapter 2, verse 28, chapter 3, verse 18, chapter 4, verse 4, chapter 5, verse 21. He uses that affectionate technia to refer to everybody as dear little children. And then he uses pagia. Perhaps you've heard of, uh, uh, I'm having a hard time, it, to address uh, children just as simple youth. Pediatrics, there's a good term, pagia. Uh, we see that. Also today, in chapter 2, verse 14. We'll see it next time, 2, verse 18. And in chapter 3, verse 7. If John were trying to make a clear point about this being about spiritual maturity, don't you think he would have used a consistent term? He does not use a consistent term. Uh, also, why, if you're going to make this a major point about spiritual maturity, why not go children, young men, fathers? Instead, he goes children, fathers, young men. That doesn't make sense. If that's the point you were trying to make, it doesn't make sense, does it? See, that's why I say I'm going to approach this passage perhaps a little differently than what you may have heard from other preachers. We can all go and find 
a preacher who's talking that this is all about spiritual maturity. I don't believe it is so much. I'm not arguing that there's not levels of spiritual maturity, but that's not the point John's trying to make. The focus of today's point, if we make that the focus of today's passage, we're missing the point John's trying to make. So with all that, that's just introduction. With all that for introduction, let's get to our study. Let's read verse 12 again. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Again, John's using the word technia here to address his readers, including you and me. The very affectionate, childlike term. John's attitude toward these folks that he's writing to, you and me, is like a grandfather addressing his grandchildren. Come on in here, let me tell you something. He says that he's writing because their sins have been forgiven. Because their sins have been forgiven. They are believers. They're followers of Christ. So they are precious. Just for that fact, they're precious and dear to John. Just because they're fellow believers. Remember, the topic of the uh, book of 1 John is about how we ought to love each other more. As believers, we ought to love each other. Just because they are forgiven and uh, bought by Christ, that's a reason for them to be dearly beloved. <clears throat> and that fits with the greater context of the rest of the book that we've looked at so far. Love for our fellow believers. Now John's already spoken to them uh, in chapter 1, verse 9, about the fact that their sins have been forgiven. You remember that. Uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the topic he's talking about here. We've all been forgiven. This is something that's true of all genuine believers. We all have the blessings of Jesus' forgiveness. But what makes the basis for that forgiveness? Christ's own namesake. God forgives our sins because of Jesus Christ, the one who served as our atoning sacrifice, like we saw in chapter 2, verse 2. Let's back up and read it again. John chapter 2, verse 2, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. We're going to see that again in chapter 4, verse 10, when we get there. I'll steal my own thunder. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Our sins are removed. They've been forgiven. They're taken away. That's the basis for this dear children that John brings up. We're all forgiven. We're all part of a family. Come on, my dear children, John says. Verse 13. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the father. So he says, I write unto you, fathers. Now, fathers would be someone who's walked with God for some years now. These would be believers who've had struggles, they've had fights, and they may have scars to prove it. They've been down the road. We know Christians like that. They've experienced some things that maybe you or I haven't. We look up to them, right? We all know somebody like that. And these proven battlefield experiences 
give the confidence that God has been with them in the past and God will still be with them in the future because he's brought them through these battles. By the way, there's only one other place in all of the New Testament where believers are referred to as fathers. Did you know that? Only one other place in all the New Testament where believers are referred to as fathers. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And verse 1. Since it's such a rare thing, we should take a look at it. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 1. Paul's advice to Timothy. He says, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren. Keep your finger in 1 Timothy. Uh, so Paul's giving Timothy advice there on how to relate to the older men in the church. Young Timothy, young pastor, church of Ephesus, uh, giving advice to the young man as he, there's going to be people in the church who are older than you, Timothy. Here's how you should treat them. Treat them like fathers. In that case, the group is definitely a diff simply a different age bracket than Timothy. Just an older man. There's no indication at all whatsoever that they are more spiritually mature. In fact, if anything, the opposite is true. Timothy, after all, is the pastor of the church of Ephesus. We would expect him to be the more spiritually mature, wouldn't we? These men are just simply older men. So with all that in mind, doesn't it make sense that John may be referring to believers who are simply older, but not necessarily more spiritually mature? Doesn't that make sense that the only other time when it's ever that term is ever used? So John writes to this group. Oops, look at that. Archives. Uh, John writes to this group, Because ye have known him that is from the beginning... So now we have to ask, who is that? Who is it? The one who is from the beginning. Well, based on what we've seen in uh, 1 John chapter 1, and the Gospel of John chapter 1, where it talks about the word of life who is from the beginning, it's none other than Jesus Christ. So in, in John's writings, Jesus is the only one described as being from the beginning. John's very consistent on that. In the Gospel of John and in all three letters, the one who is from the beginning is Jesus Christ, no one else. So with all that in mind, John is writing here to people who are older who are also believers. Simple as that. Older people who are believers. And then John turns to the young men. Uh, now the word used here for young men is a Greek word, neoniskoi. Neonisquoi. Uh, and here, as well as in verse 14, are the only places it's ever used in John's writings. Only We're looking at both of them today. Neonisquoi. It's used nine other times in the Gospels and Acts, and it every single time refers to literal young adults. Young men who just come of age. Uh, so it's hard to believe that John would be making a different whole new concept here when every uh, every single other time that this term is used it's used to describe simply young adults again referring to the passage in 1st Timothy that we just looked at 1st uh, Timothy chapter 5 verse 1 I told you to keep your finger there he says 
and the younger men as brethren. How he's supposed to treat the younger men. He's told to treat these young men as brothers. They're the same age as you, Timothy. Timothy himself is also described as a young man. So it's clearly not used here to refer to spiritual maturity. He is the pastor at the church of Ephesus. He is a young man. He is simply a young man. It's just an age bracket, you see. So as John addresses these young men, he says, you have overcome the wicked one. Now, we all know who this wicked one is too, right? This is describing the devil himself. We'll see more of that when we get into chapter 3. I'm not going to get into that right now. But every time this term is used in 1 John, that is who it's describing, the devil himself. So let me ask you a question. Why are these young men described as overcoming the wicked one? Why are they described that way? I mean, if they overcame him, the devil's still around, isn't he? And he still affects each and every one of us every single day, right? Why are these guys described as overcoming? Well, other than here, John uses this word nakeo. You know, we all know the sneaker brand Nike. You know where that's taken from? The Greek word nakeo, Nike victory. Uh, Nike is the goddess of victory. Uh, Nikeo means to overcome, to have victory over. It's used four times in, the, uh, in John, uh, in First John here. He'll use it in uh, chapter four, verse four, uh, chapter five, verse four, twice, and chapter five, verse five. I'm not going to get into all that right now. You can look it up yourself. In chapter four, verse four, John's readers are said to have overcome the world because greater is He that is in them than he that is in the world. In chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, those who are born of God overcome the world by their faith. They have victory by their faith. So putting it all, all those times when it's used together into context, it's pretty safe to say that John sees his reader's victory as coming as a result of God's indwelling presence in their lives only reason you and I have victory, the only reason those folks in John's day have victory, is because God is in our lives. You see where this is all coming back to? Each age bracket that he's talking to is, I love you because you are Christians. I love you because you are Christians. Because you have God's presence in your life. And that gives you victory. Because you, your sins have been forgiven. Because you've known the one who's from the beginning. He's basically saying, using different words to say the exact same thing over and over and over. This is why I love you, John says. Now, as a result of this indwelling power of God, they're able to overcome the evil one by faith in God. Now, remember that throughout the book of 1 John, John sees the forces of evil lined up against believers who John believes himself to be a part of. It's us Versus the evil, the forces of the evil one. We've already seen some of them described as the heretics of John's day. Uh, and 
it's no different. There's forces of evil at work against us each and every day. It may not be the same heretics that John was dealing with, although they are alive and well too. We've all got forces of evil that we have to battle with. So because of this camaraderie, John refers to his readers as children, as fathers, as young men. They're all different ages, but they're all in the same battle, just like you and me. We're all soldiers in the same battle. Some may be very young. They've just come up through the ranks. They just uh, finished their basic training, and they got to learn something. And some of them may be some battle-scarred, barnacled old tough boy who's he's seen some, hey, let me show you a few things. Keep your head down, son. We're all in the same battle. We're all different ages, right? No matter what age, we all have the exact same task regarding the evil that stands against us. Let's go to, we're done with First uh, Timothy, you can move that one back. Uh, back to First John chapter 2, verse 14. Last verse here. I have written unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. So he says, addressing the fathers again, he says, I've written unto you fathers because you've known him that is from the beginning. That's exactly what John had just written in verse 13. The believers John describes as fathers have known Christ, the one who is from the beginning. And he says, I've written unto you young men because you're strong and the word of God abideth in you. So here John expands on the concept just a little bit concept of these young men. He says that they're strong. And young men are strong, right? That's a peak of your strength and vitality. When you're a young man coming in, you may not have all the know-how and the knowledge that your old man may have, but you're at the peak of your physical strength. You're strong. The Word of God abides in you. That's why you're strong, by the way. That's the only strength that you and I have is this Word of God if it's in us. And he goes on to say that You've overcome the wicked one. Now, we can make an assumption here. I don't think it's a hard assumption to make. They've overcome the wicked one because they are strong, right? And they're strong because they have the word of God abiding in them. You want to have victory over the forces? We all find the forces of evil in the world all around us, right? It's not hard to find, especially in this day and age. Do you want to have victory over that evil? Keep the word of God abiding in you. Don't leave it. That's free. So what does John mean by the word of God here? What does John mean by the word of God? Well, again, we need to look at the context of the rest of the book, right? In First uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Very similar terminology. It's described as the message that's proclaimed to John's readers. That which we've seen, that which we've heard, that which we've touched and handled. Now we saw, I'm not going to back up and teach it all over again, we saw from the next few verses, if you follow down through, that that word of life is Jesus Christ himself. We already taught that. That word of life is Jesus Christ himself. 
chapter 2, verse 5, we saw that those who obey God's word have God's love made complete. All right, I'll read it. It's on the same page. For whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. In the greater context, we saw that the word of God is identical to the command of God. Uh, and we'll, we will see that again in uh, chapter 3, verse 23, where we're going to see, and this is the commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he giveth us commandment. The commandment is the same thing as the word of God. The commandment of his Son, Jesus Christ. So in verse 14, that we're looking at here right now, to have God's word remain in them means to allow the message and the commandment of the gospel of Christ to remain in them. That commandment we already went over a couple of weeks ago is to love one another. So that's the key to these young men being strong. That Christian love that we have one to another is part of our strength. That's the commandment of Jesus Christ. That's our ability to overcome the evil one, don't you see? So let's wrap this up. Although there are certainly, there certainly are varying levels of maturity in Christians. I'm not arguing that. That does not seem to be the case here in John, 1 John. Don't you agree? The way we looked at it just now. I don't believe that's the case John is trying to make. Rather, the case John is trying to make here is that any believer, every single one of us, no matter what age, no matter what category, no matter what description, we all get our strength from the same source. That's the case John's trying to make here. He says it over and over using different words. If we believe the word of God and obey his command to love one another, then we will be able to fulfill our role as believers in Christ. That's the overarching summary of what we just looked at just now. That is in agreement with the context of the rest of the book of 1 John, too, by the way. So as I say, I may have presented this passage differently than you may have heard this passage preached before, and it's different than what a lot of commentators are going to say, but I believe it fits with the greater context of what 1 John is talking about. So I, We're a little bit brief here this morning, but I wanted to be very, very clear, and I didn't want to break into other concepts here. Uh, so I'm all done. If you don't mind, I'll close us in a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you that we all get our source of strength from your word and obeying your commands. No believer gets a source of strength from any other way than, than the same way I do. We all just simply need to follow you. And if we follow you, we'll overcome the wicked one. What a blessed promise. We thank you for it. It's in your name I pray. Amen.